I would like to welcome Jan Wright onto our show. Welcome to B-Sides on, on Access Radio, Jan. Thank you, Laurie. It's great to have you here and, and much appreciated. That's all right. Um, now, to be here. Yes, yes. Well, it's really nice and, and um, I guess what goes on is quite complex, but I thought it would be nice just to try and break down a few things that you do. As, as, as I was digging in, it was uncovering things for me and and you kind of think you know things but the you know there you go so um one of the things I did want to get you to explain to our listeners is what is the difference between you being the commissioner for the environment and the minister of the environment because I think sometimes we hear them the same yes yes well the minister's part of the government yes uh and I'm not right um I'm the parliamentary commissioner and so I'm politically independent uh, it's the same position, the same kind of position as the Auditor General and the Ombudsman. Right. And you get appointed by Parliament as a whole. So I relate to Parliament through the Speaker. And um, the great thing about this job is that I can say what I think without, Good. truly without fear or favour. Yeah. And really the role is about giving advice about the environment to MPs and the wider public. Right. Mm. How long has this been in place in New Zealand? Mm. I think 1986 or thereabouts, so about 27 years now. Wow. Um, and there's been three of us. I'm the third, wow. obviously. Congratulations. And uh, <laughs> some of your listeners might remember <laughs> Helen Hughes, who was right. the first one, and then Morgan Williams, and I'm number three. And I'm in the second uh, second term. I was reappointed two years yes. ago for a second five-year term, so I've been doing it for seven years now. Wow. Mm. So many things to ask you about that, but I'll keep keep on <laughs> right. the track. Um, how does a report get commissioned? Do you decide or is it asked of you? Yeah, I decide. Yes. Um, and so there's a lot of prioritisation yeah. going on because there's an infinite number of that things to investigate. would be no pressure. Oh, <laughs> yes. my goodness. <laughs> um, sometimes, though, um, people ask and, you know, mm. MPs might ask or other people write letters and say, can you please look at this? And some of the reports do come out or, or perhaps from ideas that are triggered by some of those requests. Right. No, that, mm. that makes sense. Mm. And so then is the government required to act on any of your recommendations? Uh, not at all, no. Yeah. Um, it was a bit of a revelation. <laughs> I was a bit upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I make recommendations generally to particular ministers and um, then we do actually uh, follow them up Right. We get a chance and say, yeah. write a letter and say, what did you do? There's five recommendations in this report. Three of them are to you. What's your response? And and occasionally we issue what are called update reports right. and say what happened. So we do try to hold them to account and say, you know, if you if you haven't done what I asked you, give us give us the reasons why. Good. Um, and we're actually going to be putting out a couple of those reports very soon. So right. Mm. Okay. And so then, what is do you find the best way? So you have your own way of of reminding and and mm. you know get, getting some feedback. Mm. Is there another way through the community that you find action or get taken? Well, I've come to realise over time that interaction with media, like yourselves, <laughs> there you go, Laura. I'm doing a little tap dance. <laughs> um, is right. actually very important. Yes. Because, you know, it's really about getting the reports out mm. there, getting the issues understood in the wider public. And then if people are concerned, then MPs do reflect the people. So yes. if, if an issue is covered well in the media, 
um, then it's more likely that the government of the day will take an interest in it. And so that is all part of the job, really. Good. Okay. Mm. Just wanted to clarify that. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it seemed like there was a definite process and, and yes. things have an effect. And so mm. it would make sense that, mm. that, that kind of listening well, from another yes. channel as well. Yeah. Well, we conduct investigations. Yes. And... Uh, they end up with a report, and they can take months or even years um, because they're complicated. And then I release it. It's tabled in Parliament at the same time. The Speaker tables it in the House, and then it's all on right? Uh, in terms of public exposure. Yes, yes. Yeah, right. But up till then, it's secret. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. You might you would need that focus time, I gather, though, as well. Oh, to, well you know, they're they very can, complex. They are. And mm. um, the one, the report, that, of course, that we've just come out with is, is the second report on fracking, and it is very complicated. Yes. And, you know, I can't make recommendations unless they're on a good basis. They exactly. have to be well argued and they have to be well explained. Yes, yeah. no, that makes sense. And I did mm. start going through that last night. And yes, it good luck. Very, yeah, <laughs> it, it was. But there were it was still mm. very easy to read and understand, mm. I felt. And I got a good sense of what was going on. Yes. Um, not that I read it word for word every page. But so just about that report, that was what I did wish to talk to you about today. Yes. Just with fracking or drilling for oil and gas in New Zealand could mm. you are you able to break that or just kind of really summarize what your what your findings were in the right, report right. well I've done two reports on this and then yes. this was an issue that people asked to be investigated yes um, so we did the first report is really describing the whole process of drilling for oil and gas mm-hmm. Uh, and where fracking fits into that and what's involved and what the environmental risks are. And the second report that's just come out is we looked at the laws and the institutions and the way decisions are made and what councils do and all that sort of thing to see uh, how well it was all managed. Right. Um, So just to uh, backtrack on what fracking is, it's it's shorthand for hydraulic fracturing. Right. Impossible, Impossible to believe that some of the concern isn't generated by the word fracking, fracking itself, as you can no, imagine. It's a, it's a, it, even visually looking mm. at the diagram, it's, yes, it's ooh, right. yeah. yeah. So um, what what is happening around the world is that the easy-to-access oil and gas has come out of the ground. And so fracking is a process whereby uh, they can get what they call unconventional oil and gas. Right. And if we're just talking on land, so we're not being concerned with the offshore drilling in the ocean at the moment. Um, and they, they've they done it actually for a long time, you know, the old Jed Clampett way of firing a rifle down the down the well to loosen right. a bit more of the rock up, you yeah, know, and get yeah. the oil and gas out. Yeah. Um, but this uh, hydraulic fracturing actually was first done, I think, three days after I was born, I seem to remember, wow. finding that out and thinking it's as old as me. Um, but in New Zealand, it's about 25 years old, right. and I'm a lot older than 25. Yeah. Um, and uh, but not done very much, and done in Taranaki where we have the yes. oil and gas. So basically, you have oil and gas sitting under the ground in little holes in the rock, and sometimes the rock is quite impermeable. In other right. words, the holes aren't joined up. So when you drill into it, the oil and gas doesn't come out. Yeah. So sending liquid called high, uh, fracking fluid down down a well at very high pressure, can create cracks in the rock and allow the oil and gas to flow. So that's basically what it is. But the really important thing to understand about it is that what it does is enable 
uh, companies to get oil and gas out of rock where they couldn't get it before. So what it does is not so much fracking itself, but fracking enables the expansion of the oil and gas industry into right. new places. That we weren't previously That we weren't previously, right. So we're right. now looking at possibly Hawke's Bay, uh, Gisborne, uh, Wairarapa, mm. uh, those places, Manawatu, uh, where we might see an oil and gas industry developing. Mm. Right. Now this I found out, under, I came to understand last night, and it was yes. quite alarming, mm. um, because it felt like there was a lot of media, or well, there has been around the deep sea oil, mm. and then so I didn't understand we were also looking at it on, you know, mm. on land. Mm. What is propelling this this industry? Is it that we're still the demand for gas and oil? That, or have we reached our peak peak oil? Are we trying to find more? Or yes, um, the it, it, particularly the oil is particularly um, valuable. Yes. I mean, the, the gas is more bit more difficult to use and very difficult to export because you ha- yes. have to build a very, very big plant and liquefy it and do that. Right. Uh, so it, it is about the oil becoming more valuable over time as it gets, as I say, the easy places to get it from have gone. Yes. So that's really what it's about. But I think that, um, I think what is important from our perspective as New Zealanders is that what we've seen overseas, and we've seen this reaction to fracking in North America yes. and in Australia, a different kind going on in each place, but a very rapid uh, multiplicity of wells being drilled and being drilled as close as one per square kilometre because right. it's a diff- yes. So there is an effect on the landscape. There's... Um, uh, you know, roads to all of these wells and so on. So it's quite a rapid transformation. And mm. what we found in the report was that uh, it, you know, it was really the speed of that change overseas that mm. had caused the, the, the worry and the reaction. Uh, and the regulators were scrambling to catch up. Yes. Now, I, I believe the same sort of situation could develop here. I think we don't need to do a lot, but we've got some things to get in order. So we can have some control over that. Yes. So if you want to say, well, okay, that's enough. <laughs> yes. We, we don't want any more in that part of Hawke's Bay. We don't want it being done where that important aquifer is. We don't want that groundwater being no. uh, put at risk. Uh, we need to have the ability to control that, and at the moment we don't sufficiently. Yeah. Mm. Now, the companies that are doing this explorative work, are they New Zealand companies or are they overseas companies? They're a mix. Um, right. the, um, for instance, there are some big um, New Zealand companies, particularly Todd Energy, who are very active in yes. Taranaki. But yes. the explore, exploration wells that are being drilled in the Manawatu and in Gisborne uh, near Gisborne, are uh, um, a tag oil, which is a Canadian company. So, you know, in terms of the law and so on, of course, there's no difference, but it isn't relevant no. who's doing it, yes. Exactly. But there are quite a number of different companies operational in Taranaki. Right. Mm. And does the land tend to be owned privately and they, they have to go through a process, or is mm. it already owned by government? Well, or? I think the thing that comes as a shock, because if you look at what's happened in Australia, where they're actually... The main uh, thing they've been going for there is what's called coal seam gas. It's yes. getting the methane out of coal seams, the same methane that exploded at Pike River, but getting it out yeah. and using it. Uh, and that has happened um, across farmland. And 
so the the reaction to it is actually a kind of coalition of farmers and environmentalists, which is an interesting combination. And farmers are concerned about there about two things. One of them is the property rights because it's, it's their land. Yes. The second thing is um, the groundwater because the water is, of course, particularly precious yes. in Australia, and, <laughs> and, and, and will become more precious. Exactly. Yes. Um, so. Here, I think it can be a shock that the Crown, as it were, not the Queen exactly, but you yes, know what I mean by yes. the Crown, the government really, yes. um, owns the oil and gas. And so if you can be, you can have a nice bit of private land and if the company wishes to drill there and has been given the permit to drill, you, you cannot say no. So you must agree to them having access. And this is different from other kinds of activities. And I think where it does become different also is it's not, it's heavy industry, but it's not heavy industry in uh, an industrial park on the outskirts of a city. This is heavy industry that goes across the countryside. So of course it's going to have an impact and people are going to get upset. Right, okay. If, if you can't see me out there, ladies and gentlemen, my jaw is on my chest. Okay. Oh, that's a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> well, <laughs> perfectly fine. Oh, no, but it's, um, it, it's astounding, really. And I guess, you know, this, I guess I will be taking home and thinking about quite a bit. Well, I think we, we just need to be prepared for what could be a very rapid expansion mm. into parts of the country where we haven't seen it before. And it's the rapidity of that that has caused the reaction overseas. Right, and no mm. doubt we'll And hear. I don't think we're prepared here. No, that's mm. right. Mm. What kind of response has the government given you to the report mm. so far? It's, it's relatively new out. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's been a bit mixed, um, but really there are two, two ministers who are key here. One of them's the Minister of the Environment, yes. the other one's the Minister of Energy and Resources. Um, and... I think they are going to be giving consideration to the recommendations. Good. Um, okay. And I'll be following them up to see if they have. <laughs> good, Jan. That's good news. Now, um, just I won't deny that I always come from a space of maybe resistance around drilling. You know, I, mm. I, I, I tend to wear a bit of a green hat. But are we being overly concerned? And are there um, communities and environments kind of you know, harmoniously dealing with this overseas at mm. all mm. that I'm not aware well, of. Well, <laughs> I mean, the, really the big issue around all of this for me is climate change because, That's of right. course, these are fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. And um, it is difficult to uh, substitute for oil in particular. Uh, and I think that one of the things that is very important here is that all fossil fuels are not equal when it comes to climate change, that different fossil fuels have different kinds of carbon footprints. Now, gas, natural gas, has a relatively light carbon footprint because it burns very cleanly and you get a lot of energy for each molecule of carbon dioxide. Uh, Oil is not as good. Um, The very worst is coal, and particularly... Uh, what what other countries call brown coal, but we call lignite, the lignite in Southland that I've also written a report about. I was very concerned about that. So when I look at fossil fuels, it depends what they are. Mm. And um, if if we get gas from uh, these wells and it is used usefully, um, then that could be beneficial for our carbon footprint. Right. But we don't... what, What would be particularly worrying for me is what uh, we show in the report 
is happening in the states, um, there's the the what is called the shale, the oil-bearing rock in the East Coast Basin, so that's Hawke's Bay, Gisborne, right. Manawatu, and so on, has been compared to the Bakken, what's called the Bakken Shale in North America, which is up by North Dakota. Now, um, if you look at Google Earth, or you look at satellite photos yes. of the Earth at night, the Bakken Shale is a light like a large city. In, and we've got a photograph in the report that shows it near Minneapolis and Chicago. And that is because the oil is so precious, they're just burning off the gas that comes with it to get rid of it because they haven't. the gas is not worth enough to build the pipes and so on to carry it away for some useful purpose. Now, that to me is a real climate change sin. <laughs> You're not even using this energy for anything that is useful. And... I would worry that potentially we could see the same thing here. Right. Potentially we could see the same thing here. And again, it's that speed of expansion. Yep. Have we thought about this? Are we ready for this? This could happen. The councils have given away, largely given away their power to control it. They need to grab that back. Right. Mm. Okay. Sorry, that's a pretty heavy. <laughs> I'll come back to living in the now. Mm. Um Jan, just while we are on climate change, and I yes. know that you, you know, you've brought that, this up in the report, but I just wondered. I have read that there, there's something that does keep you awake at night, and, yes. and I'm asking you as a woman of wisdom, really. You know, you really do know, and we, we're all. Some mm. of us are still struggling on what to believe, but what does keep you awake at night? Well, climate change. Yeah, um, I think. Um, it's it's very interesting that this the great this great achievement of humanity you mm. know through the industrial revolution and so on and the way in which we've been able to harness nature in a way is now putting us um, and future generations at risk yes. now um, in New Zealand we'll be relatively well off because our climate is very moderated by the sea and yes. so we won't see the um, change as rapid as right. elsewhere in the world. Um, I think, you know, we are already seeing things and yes. there are plenty of scientists pointing to this. Um, you know, the atmosphere is a very, very thin skin of gases that really separates our planet from deep, dark outer space. And it's it's quite a delicate thing. Yes. And I think we have, unfortunately, you know, unwittingly, we didn't know we no. were doing the wrong thing, as happens with so many no. environmental issues, have, we've put it at risk and of course it's a very very hard thing to um, to uh, slow down these emissions of carbon dioxide um, we're actually doing an investigation at the moment in the office on uh, the impacts of climate change on New Zealand particularly right. looking at sea level rise because I think there's yes. some real um, issues there that we should be thinking about we worry about earthquakes I think we should be worrying about we'll sea worry level about rise sea. well we should be worrying about it too yeah um, more than we are. Um, but also I strongly believe that we have to put a price on carbon, as it's called, and of yes. course we've got the emissions trading scheme and now we have a proposal for a carbon tax. And somehow or other, you know, ideally we'd have a price on carbon across the world with the same price. Um, this is hard, complex stuff. This mm. is going to be much harder to deal with than the ozone layer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, because of... 
um, that carbon dioxide is everywhere. Every time we use energy, there's carbon dioxide coming off. Yes. So whereas the ozone issue was, you know, limited largely to aerosol cans, it was a much simpler, more it, confined it issue. A, yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard. It's the big one. Um, and it will affect every other aspect of our environment. I mean, it will change the biodiversity that we have um, and so on. So knowing that you know this, if you could mm. give us one thing that even as individuals, because I, we can't <laughs> see, we, we can wave our hands to the government, what would yeah. you be recommending that, that we do well, individually? I think I'd say one thing to your green listeners, yes. <laughs> of which there's probably a few out there, some out there, um, I think we need to understand that this issue isn't about renewable energy anymore. It's right. about carbon footprint. So back in the you know the 1970s when we had the oil price shock, we worried that we were running out of oil. Yes. And that peak oil, I think that was a term you used earlier. Yes. But actually you can make oil or this, the, the liquid fuels that you need from coal. And you can do that. Um, and, and there is hundreds of years of coal left in the world, and that is a very, very big risk for us. Yes. And because when you do that, it's going to have an even bigger carbon footprint than mm. your conventional oil. And so we need to think of things in terms of carbon footprint. And sometimes um, that carbon footprint might not be what you expect. So if you're if you're putting in place some green technology, but it involves a lot of infrastructure that right. has taken oil to build, you know, you might not be much further ahead. And right. that is why that price on carbon is so important because it yeah. sends that uh, carbon footprint through the economy. But the problem we have at the moment is we started off with a hiss and a roar with the emissions trading scheme, yes. and it's been watered down so much that it almost might as well not exist. And, there, and the heaviest, the biggest polluters now pay for 5% of their carbon emissions. Right. Us taxpayers pay for the rest. So we've got a big problem to do to fix that up. We, we big have. challenge. We have. Yes. Jen, um, we're coming to the end of our time, and I've, I've, there are so many more things I'd love to ask you now that you're right. here. But just, I would just like to come back to your living in Wellington. Yes. You do live here. What is it about Wellington that, that you, you love, mm -hmm. and what do you think we should work to hold on to mm -hmm. and preserve? Well, I think um, <laughs> Kath Wallace, who of course is a well-known environmentalist, I remember her saying years ago, I like living in Wellington because the environment wins. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, you, we're not insulated from it here. No. Um, both with the sea and of, and of course the wind. Mm. Um, you know, I think it is, it is a fascinating city. Um, I've lived uh, overseas, um, in San Francisco and Boston in particular, um, I have a view that you would pay millions of dollars for right. over there. Um, I live near the south coast yes. and uh, looking out east. And I think I think one of the things I love about it is that over the course of the year, I look out and I see the sunrise. And I see that sunrise progress from one end of the hills to the other and then back wow. again. And it's my, my annual clock, if you like, <laughs> watching the sunrise move. Um, and it is, it is pretty special.